revivalist Leonard Ravenhill said we must learn to pray and we must pray to learn to pray. Now, when I read this, I took two two thoughts from it, took it two ways. First, we must pray for Jesus to teach us to pray, similar to the disciples in Luke 11 and 1 asking Jesus to Lord, teach us to pray. Secondly, what I took from it is there's no way to learn to pray other than pray. It's like it's like a lot of skills in the army. We learn land navigation, learn how to read a map and a compass and get from point A to point B using only the skills you learned in there. But you, you started off in a classroom, but you can't learn land navigation in a classroom. In the end, you have to to take what you've learned in the classroom about a map and a compass and and actually get out into the woods where you're dependent on your map and your compass or you'll never really know how to do land navigation. It's the same with prayer. We we can read a lot of books on prayer and there's a lot of good ones out there. We can listen to lots of sermons on prayer. But in the end, the only way we're going to learn to pray is by praying. Books may help, sermons may help, but in the end, prayer is learned, it is a skill learned as we do it. I truly believe one of the greatest needs in our day is for disciples of Jesus to to fully give themselves to be men and women of prayer. To be men and women of prayer, we must learn to pray and we must pray to learn to pray. Author Woodrow Call says that prayer is a skill developed. And when I read that, I was I'd never really thought of it in that way. But again, I think it makes sense. I think about when I first started trying to pray, when I really surrendered my life to Christ, I, I wanted to pray. I knew that was important. And so I just set out to pray. And, and I'll be honest with you, even re- being raised in church. Trying to pray was really awkward for me. I can remember the like my dad told me you should pray out loud even by yourself. I, I said, okay. And I'm just gonna it was just it felt to be the weirdest thing in the world to be in a room by myself and talking out loud. Even though I was talking to God and I knew that it was it was awkward. I felt dumb doing it. But then after I, I kept on, I, I, I pressed in and I, I learned how to pray by praying. I, I've grown in my prayer life to or to put it in the terms Kroll used. I've developed the skill of prayer. I bring this up because today we're continuing our, our, our talk on meeting spiritual needs. And what we're going to see today is. That we need to develop the skill of prayer if we're ever going to be able to meet the spiritual needs of the people around us. So if you haven't already, open your Bible to Mark 9. We're going to start in verse 14. should be page 769 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. And when they came back to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them immediately. When the entire crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you disputing with them? And one person from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. 
And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples so they would cast it out, but they could not do it. And Jesus answered them, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions. Falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can, if you can, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him. And he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began to ask him privately, why is it we could not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything except prayer. The title of the message this morning is Praying to Meet Spiritual Needs. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You're great and awesome. You're worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we come today with a desire to meet with you, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be better disciples of Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus. And we want to be better able to go out into our community and really just sort of put Jesus on display with love and power as we see and meet the spiritual needs that are around us. But Lord, we have to be able to be people of prayer to do this. So today as we look at this passage and we talk about what it is to pray to meet spiritual needs, open our hearts to receive it. And do let us receive it, Father. Father God, that your Holy Spirit would take your word and he would, he would use it, make it living and active in our lives. And he would use it to plow up the hard ground of our hearts so your word would sink deep in and bring forth good fruit for your glory. Stir within us a longing for you. I mean, that's ultimately what prayer is. Far more than asking you to do things, prayer is just being with you, Lord. Stir in our hearts a longing for you, a desire for you. Make it so we can't help but go to be with you in prayer. And that we would learn to pray. That as we went out, we would be lights that shined brightly for Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit this morning. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Don't let me be a hindrance to anything you want to do in us or through us or for us. Be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Immediately upon coming down, they, they're met by a multitude of people and conflict. The conflict surrounds a dad who had a great spiritual need. Verse 17, verse 20, verse 25, we see he had a son who had an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit caused him to have seizures. 
The unclean spirit kept him from speaking, and the unclean spirit caused him to try to kill himself by throwing him into the fire and into the water. And as you can imagine, these things caused the son to suffer greatly. This had been going on, verse 21 tells us, from the time the boy was a child. If you're a parent, you can imagine how distraught the dad must have been. There were no meds. There was no help. There seemed to be no hope for his son. Now, the, the son and the dad, had they had physical needs, right? There were physical aspects to this need. But we see it was the, the spiritual component was driving the spiritual need or the physical need the man had. This will often be the case for us as we move out to try to meet the spiritual needs people have. Often, the physical needs we can see are driven by spiritual needs we can't quite see on the surface. We are surrounded by people with all manner of, of spiritual needs. We've talked about before, some are enslaved to sin. Sin promises freedom, but it brings further enslavement. Jesus said the one who slaves is the, or the one who sins is a slave to sin. And there's no way out of it in human strength. Some people are deceived by the devil. They have false views about who Jesus is or why Jesus is important or that he's not important. But but they are deceived by the devil into thinking that in their current condition they're they're fine without Jesus. They're good without God as it were or in whatever false God they may believe in. And they're deceived and they need the truth that comes from Jesus. And then there are many who are crushed by the cares of life. They're weighed down and they feel like it's about to destroy them. And they need rest for their souls that that only Jesus can give. They have these deep spiritual needs. And, And like the man in the story... Many of them assume those who follow Jesus can help them. Right? They believe Jesus really might be the answer, but they don't know Jesus. And so they go to the people who do know Jesus and expect that we can help them meet these needs. But we see in verse 19, their opinion isn't ultimate. What is ultimate is Jesus' opinion. And in verse 19, Jesus is not happy that they're unable to meet those spiritual needs. Jesus expects us to be able to meet the spiritual needs of the people around us. This is something I I really want to emphasize with this. If you are a born-again disciple of Jesus, Jesus expects that you can meet the spiritual needs of the people you encounter out and about in the world. Now, unfortunately... Again, like the disciples of Jesus here, we are unable to help to meet those spiritual needs. Now, the results, the reasons for that may may vary from person to person. But in this passage, we're given two. One we talked about last week, verse 19, unbelief. And then in verse 29, the one we're talking about today, prayer. This kind cannot come out by anything except prayer. So our, our truth that we... We have to understand why we have to learn the skill of prayer. Why we have to pray to learn and learn to pray. Spiritual needs require spiritual solutions. There is no purely physical way to help someone enslaved to sin be free from that sin. 
We can help them turn over a new leaf and appear more moral, but they're still enslaved to sin. We can tell them what they ought to believe and they can parrot it, but apart from Jesus at work in their life, they can't be free from the deception. There is no purely physical way for us to help people find rest for their souls. Spiritual needs require spiritual solutions. Spiritual solutions require spiritual power. One of the things we think when we say, well, I can't help, is, well, I'm just not able. I'm inadequate. And here's what I want to tell you. This should be a great relief for you. You're right. You are totally inadequate to help on your own. I am totally inadequate to help on my own. Because all I have on my own is me. And that's a physical thing. That is maybe my what I consider to be my massive intellect. Or, or my ability to talk. But my, my abilities will always fall short. They're always inadequate. Spiritual needs require spiritual solutions. Spiritual solutions require more than we can muster on our own. They require spiritual power. Spiritual power comes from God. And spiritual power requires prayer. In order to receive the, the power we need. To meet the needs of those around us, we must be a people of prayer. Now, prayer is a lot like faith. It's based upon God and not us. This should be a massive freeing thought. It's not about how good we pray. It's about how good God is. It's not about how boldly we pray. It's about how powerful God is. Prayer is powerful Not because of us, but because God is powerful. Prayer can meet spiritual needs, not because of us, but because God can meet spiritual needs. So how do we pray so we can have the spiritual power necessary to meet the spiritual needs of the people around us? I'm going to give you two ways today. One, spend extravagant time with God in prayer every day. Spend extravagant time with God in prayer every day. Now, Jesus told them this kind cannot come out except by prayer. And I wonder about that. And my question is, is it really likely that they didn't pray as they tried to cast the demon out? I mean, to be honest, we're not told. Even the other gospel accounts that tell this story don't tell us that. But to me, it seems unlikely that in a moment of trying to cast this demon out, they, it never occurred to them to pray in the moment. I don't believe not praying in the moment is what Jesus was addressing. I find it far more likely that what Jesus meant is they needed to spend time in prayer before they tried to meet spiritual needs. Now think about this. This isn't the first time they've cast demons out of people. This isn't even the first time they've cast demons out of people without Jesus being physically present with them. Matthew 6, Jesus sends the disciples out in pairs on their first solo mission. He specifically gave them authority over unclean spirits. We're told in Mark 6.13, they cast out many demons while on their solo mission. The way I see it, what makes sense to me, is when they were sent out alone... They prayed all the time. I mean, isn't that what you would do? Right? You've spent time with Jesus. You've seen Jesus 
cast out demons and heal the sick and preach about the coming of the kingdom. And you're just like, yes, Whew, Jesus is awesome. And then Jesus is like, you two, go there and do what you just saw me do. I don't know about you. I'm sent out without Jesus to go cast out demons and heal the sick and preach the gospel. I'm going to be walking and praying. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, I feel so... I don't know if I'm ready. Oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, I can even... I won't even know that. But I, I can see them praying a lot on the way. I mean, they, they had to walk to villages. To me, again, maybe this is just me, I would have prayed for every step of the way. There wouldn't have been this sort of flippant conversation. Did you see the game last night? Well, that was good. I wouldn't. There would have been no conversation, just praying. Oh, God, help me, help me, God, help me, God. But now, now they're back. And Jesus is with them again. Can't you see how that might lighten up their the urgency to pray they might have felt? I mean, they didn't... Maybe it didn't seem like they needed the power as much as when they were on their own. They had Jesus. He was here. If we can't do it, Jesus can. So because of this, I'm pretty convinced it was a lack of prayer before the event that left them powerless and unable to meet the spiritual need. Now, don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Absolutely, we should pray in the moment as we try to meet the spiritual needs of those around us. But I am convinced if we don't pray before that moment we're trying to meet a spiritual need, we will have the same result the disciples have. We will have no spiritual power and be unable to meet the spiritual needs around us. Spiritual needs require spiritual power. And spiritual power requires prayer. And this truth, and it is a truth, should lead us to making Spending extravagant time with God in prayer every day, a priority in our lives. Now, let me give you some just practical realities of why we need to spend extravagant time with God in prayer every day so we can meet the spiritual needs. God can do more than we can. Would you agree that's true? Would you agree God can do infinitely more than you or I can do on our own? And if we believe that, do we spend extravagant time with God in prayer every day? And if not, why not? God can do it. God can do things better than we can do it. Do you believe God can do it better than you can do it? Jesus does all things well, the Bible says. Do you believe that that on our best day, we can't measure up to the lowest thing that God does? That God does things infinitely better than we can do them? If you would say yes to that, then let me ask you, do you spend extravagant time with God in prayer every day? And if not, why not? And then God can do things faster than we can do them. Do you you believe that? Do you believe that in a moment God can change everything that's going on and stop the storm and turn things around and, and, and fix everything in just a split second? Sure. And if you believe that, do you spend extravagant time with prayer with God every day? And if not, why not? If we would say those statements are true, then spending extravagant time with God in prayer every day is the most practical thing we can do. 
And it should be a major priority in our lives. However, I, I don't want you just to agree with me for practical reasons. I want you to agree with me because it's what God's word says. Look at what Jesus said. He said, suppose one of you had a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Because a friend of mine has come from a journey and I have nothing to serve him. From inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door's already shut. My children are in bed. Cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So this passage is part of the instruction of Jesus about how to pray. It begins with the disciples seeing Jesus pray and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Matthew or Luke 11 and 1. First, he teaches them what we typically call the the Lord's Prayer. And then he tells them this parable to explain to them the necessity of prayer. Now, this prayer revolves around three guys. And and I'm giving names to them. Lenny, Kenny, and Denny. Right? Lenny is the inconsiderate guy who drops in unannounced and wants something to eat. Kenny is the host who has nothing to feed Lenny. And Denny is the poor soul who just wants to sleep all night with his kids and not be interrupted by his friend. But he has to get up and get Kenny some food to give to Lenny. Now here's how the parable relates to us as we seek to meet the spiritual needs of those around us. The people that we encounter with spiritual needs are Lenny. They often come at inconvenient times. They often have needs that, that we just don't have anything to meet. We don't have any way to meet them. We are Kenny. They've come to us. They have these needs. We're encountered them with these needs. We, we have nothing to give them. It's not that we don't want to. Just legitimately, we have nothing to give them. Then God is Denny. God has everything anybody could ever possibly need to meet whatever need they may have. As we go through life, we will consistently encounter people with all manner of desperate spiritual needs. On our own, we have nothing, nothing to give them. The deep spiritual problems people have can't be helped with bumper sticker cliche answers. Our massive intellects cannot come up with the right answer to meet the spiritual needs the people have. Spiritual needs require spiritual solutions. Spiritual solutions require spiritual power. Spiritual power requires prayer. Without spending extravagant time with God in prayer every day, we will have nothing to give to the Lenny's who come to us needing bread. Now, while we have nothing to give to them, God has everything everyone needs. In the parable, Kenny cannot meet Lenny's needs, but he knows someone who can. And he's sure that if he goes to Denny and he asks, he will be given all the food necessary to meet Lenny's needs. Kenny is confident. Denny has food and he has it and he will give it if he just asks. But but catch this. Kenny's confidence in Denny's ability and willingness to to meet this need is not in him. It is in Denny. He is confident that if he goes leaves his house, he goes to Denny's house, he knocks on Denny's door, Denny will give him everything he needs. But he's not confident in his leaving. It's not his leaving that brings the need. 
It's not his knocking that brings the need. It's Denny's ability. Denny has it. And Denny is willing to give it. If I just ask. His confidence is, is fully wrapped up in Denny's ability to meet this need. If we are going to spend extravagant time with God in prayer every single day, we too must have the same sort of simple, confident faith in God's ability to meet the needs of the Lennies who come to us. If we truly believe God can and will meet the needs of the Lennies who come into our lives, we will not be able to keep ourselves from spending extravagant time with God in prayer every single day. That will become a natural way in which we live our lives because we know we are going to encounter Lennies today. And they have needs that we cannot meet. But God can. If I go to Him and if I ask, God is freely giving me everything I need to help those I encounter. Well, back to the parable. Kenny is certain Denny can and will meet Denny's needs. But then when he goes to to Denny, something strange happens. He knocks on the door and he calls for Denny, but Denny doesn't answer at first. And then when he does answer, he tells him to go away. Now, Kenny is still confident Denny's ability to meet the need and his willingness to meet the need. Denny tells him, though, to go away, come back later. Who can blame Denny? It's midnight. Everyone's in bed. At this point, no one would blame Kenny for going home and telling Lenny, I'm sorry, I just couldn't get anything. But Kenny's not a quitter. So once again, he he knocks. And he's shameless in his knocking. He knows it's kind of shameful to come at midnight and knock on somebody's door. He knows it's maybe a little shameless to, 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 to not have what they need, but, but he doesn't care. He's going to keep knocking, and he's going to keep knocking, because Denny can meet this need, and Denny will meet this need. He, he's just certain of it. Of course, in the end, he does. Denny gets up and gives him everything he needs to meet the needs of the Lenny who's come to him. In this, we learn the most difficult principle of prayer. Persistence. Not giving up. Praying and keeping on praying. Or what I've been calling spending extravagant time with God in prayer every single day. I've often said it would be great if God always answered our prayers when we prayed them the way we prayed them. I no longer believe that's true. Here's why I think there's something better than instant prayer. Why I think God making us be persistent in prayer is better than instant prayer. My relationship with God has deepened more through extravagant time with God in prayer every single day than it ever would have through instant and immediate answers to prayer. In all honesty, if God were to say to me, I will give you instant and immediate answers, Or just me. I wouldn't take the instant and immediate answers. What I have found in God. In that time of prayer. Is far better. Than instant and immediate answers. Listen the greatest gift God can give us. Isn't instant and immediate answers to our prayers. The greatest thing God can give us is himself. 
And as he, he makes us knock and keep knocking, pray and keep praying, what we get is better than instant and immediate answers. We get God. We come to know Him better than we ever thought possible. We experience Him more than we ever understood was available. And the more of God we get in our lives, the more we can meet the needs of the Lenny's who come to us throughout our lives. And so I, I call on you to shamelessly spend extravagant time with God in prayer every single day. Be shameless about the fact you have nothing to give. And so spend extravagant time with God in prayer every day. Be shameless about the fact God has everything to give. And spend extravagant time with God in prayer every single day. Be shameless about the fact you are desperate for God. And spend extravagant time with God in prayer every single day. Be shameless about spending extravagant time with God in prayer every single day, even when people try to shame you for it. Just do it anyway. Build this into your schedules and don't let anything short of death keep you from spending extravagant time with God in prayer every single day. Do this. Do this because spiritual needs require spiritual solutions. And spiritual solutions require spiritual power. And spiritual power requires prayer. So pray. Spend extravagant time with God in prayer every day. And then secondly and finally, pray God's will as it is revealed in God's word. I struggled with how to word this. This is the best way I could think to do it. Because often we get messed up. When we pray for God's will to be done. I know I've often prayed about a situation. And at the end of my prayer sort of tacked on. But let your will be done. And and what I meant in that moment was. I don't know what your will is. So you do what you know needs to be done. But sometimes I also was saying. Whatever happens it must be your will. And probably we've all prayed that way. But what if I told you. That in many, if not most situations, we can know for certain what God's will is. And not only can we know what God's will is, but not everything that happens is God's will. God has given humans free will. Enabling us to act in ways contrary to his desires, his will. And yet God remains sovereign and he still ultimately accomplishes his will despite human resistance and rebellion. God allows us as humans to be free moral agents who can act contrary to his desire. And yet God remains sovereign and he wins in the end despite human resistance and rebellion. But we've messed that up and we've said, well, since God is sovereign, his will is always going to happen. And and everything that happens must be God's will. And in the process, what we've done is we have become far too accepting of things that are clearly not God's will. We have accepted those things as, as though they were God's will when we can know for sure they're not God's will. And we say, well, that's just, that's just how it is. 
And there's just not really anything we can do about it. How can we know God's will so that we can pray for his will to be done? Well, we look to God's word. God's word reveals the will, the want, and the mind of God. And when we know God's will for any situation, we can pray boldly for God's will to be done and live with expectation that God's will will be done in this situation. Look at at what John said. This is the confidence we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, then we know that we have the request which we've asked of him. I don't have time to do a deep dive into that, but just notice Confidence in prayer is rooted in praying according to God's will. But John's not saying confidence in prayer is rooted in praying for something and then saying, well, you know, God, whatever your will is, just let that be the case. That's not what John's saying. John is saying we can know what God's will is and then we can pray according to that will. And once we know God's will and we pray according to his will, then we have confidence that God is going to do it because it is what his will is. Think about the ways we've talked about spiritual needs. People enslaved to sin. People deceived by Satan. People crushed by the cares of life. Now, these three spiritual needs are fleshed out in all manner of ways. But but what if we ran those needs through the grid of God's word before we prayed for them. Right? So here's three verses that we've looked at in this series. 1 John 3 and 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Now, someone who practices sin, lives a lifestyle of sin, is of the devil. That's what it says, right? That's not my interpretation. That's... Just plainly what God's word says. And then Jesus appeared for this purpose. What? To destroy the works of the devil. Now, from what I gather, anyone living in sin is serving the devil in some ways. That's right. Would you agree with that? And that Jesus came for the explicit purpose of destroying the works of the devil. Now, based upon that understanding of that passage, is there ever a moment, is there ever a circumstance in which someone living in sin, being enslaved to sin, could ever be the will of God? Couldn't, could it? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So rather than praying something like, oh God, help help my nephew, Lord, if it's your will, just free them from being enslaved to this sin. What if we pray, God, this is not your will. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, destroy those works in his life. Isn't that a a different kind of prayer? And it's not a wishy-washy saying, well, if it's your will, we know God's will. It's not. Pray God's will according to God's word. The, The next verse, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's, there's truth, which is Jesus. There's one way to the Father, which is Jesus. And no one goes to the Father except through Jesus. So based upon that, is there ever any way in which it is God's will for someone to be deceived by the devil? Now, let me be clear on this. I, I, I realize looking over my notes for the previous weeks, I haven't been as clear on this part as I should have. 
What I've done is talk about deceived by the devil and some sort of weird religions or Christ Christian cult type things. And to be sure, those people are deceived by the devil. You know, the reality is we don't probably know a lot of people involved in any weirdo religions, do we? But you know what we do know? We know good moral people. I mean, we know loads and loads of people. They're just salt of the earth, good people. But they don't really see a need for Jesus. And they think they're going to be okay when life is over. Guess what? They are as deceived by the devil as someone involved in a weirdo cult is. They are as deceived by the devil as a Muslim is. They are as deceived by the devil as the people who brought down the Twin Towers are. They are no different. They are not okay and they will never be okay as long as they continue to believe they're okay apart from Jesus. And it is not God's will that they believe their morality is good enough. And so rather than pray, oh God, oh they're pretty good people. If it be your will, just let them see their need for Jesus. Jesus, you are the way and the truth and there is no life apart from you. Reveal yourself to them. It's a different kind of prayer. It's not a wishy-washy sort of if it be your will. Jesus said we're to come to him, all who labor or burden. Sorry, I've got that memorized from a different translation. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble. You'll find rest for your souls. There's rest available in Jesus. It is, this isn't saying that there won't be problems or cares of life. But it is saying there's rest for the souls even in the midst of the crushing cares of life. So if, if we know someone who's being crushed by the cares of life, is, is the fact that their cares are crushing them, is that God's will? Or is it God's will that they would have rest for their souls in Jesus? It's God's will they would have rest for their souls. And so we don't have to pray, oh God, just... Comfort them if you, if you know if that's your will. Comfort them and and strengthen them and let them be helped if that's your will. We can say, God, Jesus offers rest for the weary. Jesus gives rest for their souls. Give them the rest, Jesus. Let them hear you saying, "Come to me," and let them come to you and find the rest that is theirs through Christ. It's a different kind of praying. When I went to a conference last week. A week before, I guess now. And, and one of the speakers was a man named Dr. Richard Blackaby. And, and he spoke about the ways of God in one of his sessions. And one of the ways of God is that God comes and works in power because he's sovereign. So he, he gave all of these passages that talk about the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the, the greatness of God. And then he said something that just... Tore me up. He said, stop being wishy-washy. If you serve an almighty God, act like it. And I want to pass that message along to us today. Quit being wishy-washy in our prayers. If we truly believe God is who the word says he is, that he is an almighty God, then we should act like it and we should pray like it 
And it should be evident in our lives. The kind of God we believe we serve. We should repent of wimpy, wishy-washy, if it be your will kind of prayers. And commit ourselves to boldly praying God's will as it's found in God's word. There are no people anywhere in the world who need our wishy-washy prayers. They need the prayers of a spirit-filled disciple of Jesus who knows they serve an almighty God. Let's pray like what the Bible says is real and it is really not God's will for anyone to be enslaved to sin. That it is really never God's will for anyone to be deceived by the devil. And it's really not God's will for anyone to be crushed by the cares of life. Not because of our words or what we say, but because of Jesus who destroyed the works of the devil. Who is the way and the truth and the life. Who gives rest for the souls. Let's pray like our Jesus can do everything he says he can. So let's all stand. And I spent the last several minutes talking about prayer. So I want us to give us the time to pray. Feels like it would be silly for me to preach on the importance of prayer than in the service without giving us a time to pray. But in this time of prayer, it, it is also an invitation. And I'm inviting three groups of people to, to come and, and pray this morning. First, for those who have a spiritual need. If you recognize one of the spiritual needs that, that we've talked about in your own life, there, there is help. Notice, there is help. If you're enslaved to sin, there is a Jesus who broke the devil's power and he can set you free and you will be free indeed. If you believe wrong things about Jesus, there is a Jesus who is the truth and who will show you the way and will give you life. And if you're crushed by the cares of life, there is a Jesus who offers you to come to Him to lay your burdens down and to find rest for your souls. Come to Jesus today. I, I want to offer an invitation to those who doubt. The Father doubted. I believe, but help my unbelief. I love that honest prayer. You say, I, I believe this is God's will. I, I believe, but there's issues. Come to Jesus this morning. Come to Him and confess your doubts. Tell Him you believe. But tell Him about the struggles and the unbelief you have. The Jesus who, who honored and answered that honest faith in Mark is the Jesus you will talk to today. And then third, those who are ready to move out and experience Jesus meeting spiritual needs through them. Come this morning and surrender to Jesus to be His instrument. To help a hurting and a dying world in His name. Commit to spending extravagant time with Him in prayer every single day. Commit to studying the Word so that you can pray God's will according to God's Word. Ask Him to help you to see the needs around you. And to give you the courage to step out and to minister to those people in the name of Jesus. Through the power of the Spirit for the glory of our Father. 
Do this because you know spiritual needs require spiritual solutions. Spiritual solutions require spiritual power. Spiritual power requires prayer. So I'm going to ask all that would come. Come to Jesus this morning. Come and cry out to Him in whatever area you are. The altars are open at this time.